Should pray. Father God, we just pray now as we look at your word that, Father God, you would open our hearts. And that, Lord, we just pray that, yeah, well, I pray that whatever I say, Father, you would take and you would use for your glory. The Lord, um, we would hear what we need to hear this morning, even if it's not what's written down on these pages, that, Father God, your Holy Spirit will be with us. We pray, Father God, for an anointing of your Spirit on every heart in this room. The Lord, he would be speaking to people, Father. And that, Lord, his words would be heard above everybody else's. That, Father God, you would open our hearts. And that, Lord, by the power of your spirit, Lord, by the power of your word as well, that people would just know your will for their lives. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And we pray you speak through it now in Jesus' name. Amen. We talked earlier on about wearing masks. And uh, often what we present to other people isn't really the real us, is it? I think we're all kind of guilty of uh, presenting the world with a version of ourselves that we want them to see. Um, And isn't it true that it's only often when life um, hits a a massive U-turn or we become stressed or unhappy or we hit a wall um, that the real us comes to the surface. It it may be the grumpy us or the stroppy us. It may be the vulnerable us or the one of us, the the part of us that feels weak and frail. Um, I remember when Andrew and I were in Bangladesh a long time ago, um, we'd just moved to the country, I was 21, it seems a long, long time ago in fact, and, um, and the head of the school that Andrew worked at, um, he was on the church board, uh, of which they employed me, and, uh, and almost every day, probably two or three times a week, I would pop into the school, because it was just down the road from our flat, uh, and I would pop in and I would have a chat with him, we'd have a coffee together. And I remember thinking after the first week, isn't it brilliant? What a nice guy. What a good guy. And he looked like he enjoyed my company. Uh, it's ruined every relationship since because he genuinely looked pleased to see me. And uh, we would chat and we would laugh. And so after about two, three weeks, I thought, well, this is brilliant. I'm getting to really bond with somebody. I'm feeling settled, happy days. Until one day, about a month into our time in Bangladesh, when I walked into his office with my chirpy knock, and I said, all right. And he was so rude. <laughs> oh, you again. Literally just like that. Oh, goodness. You've popped in. Oh, you're always here. And he was obviously stressed. And out it all came. And I suddenly realized that actually what looked like a genuine friendship was just him putting up with me um, day in, day out. And it's hard to believe, isn't it, that someone could find my face annoying. Um, I know some of you are thinking that. It's okay. Um, it does ha- these things happen. What can I tell you? These things do happen. Um, but it made me realize that we often wear masks, don't we? We say, show the world that we're happy-go-lucky or that we're caring or that we're really, really good. But it's often when life changes or it becomes stressful that our mask slips and the real us comes to the surface. Uh, we pretend it isn't the real us, but actually perhaps it is. It's interesting, actually, we're going to carry on with our next series, uh, next sermon on Joseph. Last week we were in Genesis 37, now we're in 39 to 40. If you've got it open, uh, that would be good. We'll be dipping backwards and forwards into those two chapters. I won't read them all, um, otherwise we'll be here till Christmas, which is no bad thing. Um, But those two chapters will be dipping in and out over the next few minutes. But what we see in the story of Joseph is almost a complete reverse. See, we portray the positive side to us. And then when things go wrong, the negative side comes out. But with Joseph, uh, it's almost a complete reverse. In chapter 37, what did we see? We didn't see a particularly nice guy. We saw a spoiled brat. We saw a telltale. We saw a kid who was immature, 17 years old, and a tiny bit arrogant. 
or a lot arrogant, depending on how you read the chapter. But as he becomes a slave in chapter 39, you remember he was sold by his brothers to the Ishmaelites, um, and he was taken off to Egypt and sold to a man named Potiphar uh, as a slave. As he becomes a slave, it's almost the reverse. The mask of arrogant, spoiled teenager slips off. And what we see in these two chapters, indeed the rest of Genesis, is a hard-working man of great faith with an amazing amount of godliness and integrity. And I find that a real challenge, and I hope you find that a real challenge. Wouldn't it be good if we as Christians bucked the trend, that when life got tough, people saw more of our good side, not less of our good side? Wouldn't it be good if our godly characters were so godly that when uh, it all went horribly wrong, when the chips were down, that actually people saw more of Jesus Christ in us, not less of Jesus Christ? How can you become that person? easy. (laughs) It's not easy. Um, There are three things that you must do. You must have your head in the Bible as often as you can. You must train yourself in the good times to um, let the word of God dictate how you make your decisions and how you live your life. You must emulate Jesus Christ in everything you do, not just when it goes bad, but when it's good, so that when it's bad, you already know how you should behave. And the third thing you need to do, we need to do, is pray fervently for the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 to 23 is what you should be asking God for every day. Many Christians ask God for the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, I want to speak in tongues. I want to have the gift of prophecy. I want the gift of healing. For the record, I want every single one of those. I want more of the gifts of God. I'd love to see them displayed uh, in our prayer meetings and other places, but we'll get there perhaps. But we let God deal with that. But I want those things desperately. But you mustn't want those things on their own. You must want the fruits of the Spirit as well. Because without the fruit, you're just using a gift incorrectly. The fruit of the Spirit are things like self-control and kindness and godliness and those kinds of things. And we want to pray for those every day so that when the chips are down, they come out rather than something else. So last week, we left Joseph um, almost down a pit. He'd been sold by his angry brothers. You remember, he got right on their nerves by being the favorite son. Um, and he got on their nerves by sharing two dreams of how they were going to bow down to him. And they decide they're going to kill him, but only Reuben says, it's a really terrible idea. Let's not kill him, let's sell him. And so they sell him to some Ishmaelites, often known as hairy Ishmaelites for some reason. Um, and they often, off they go Um, and they take him to Egypt. And in chapter 39, verse 1, um, he's sold to a man named Potiphar. And in fact, I'm going to read the first six verses of Genesis 39, and then we'll just sort of jump around from there. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything 
except the food he ate. Wow, what an amazing uh, place to end up. And so in verse 1, um, it's sold to a man named Potiphar. Who was Potiphar? Well, Potiphar was an important man to Pharaoh, clearly. Um, he was probably the man in charge of the prison, um, and particularly the prisoners who had upset the Pharaoh. Uh, that seems to have been his job. He may even have had the power to put people to death. And so, much like many other rich people across history, he buys himself a group of slaves, and Joseph was one of them. And he was an astute man, um, uh, Potiphar. In verse 3, he recognizes that God is with this particular slave, that God's with him. There's something different. And so, rather than be threatened by that, he promotes him to the highest position, verse 4, in his house. This former favorite son has become very quickly the favorite slave in this story. But with promotion comes attention. Suddenly Potiphar's wife wakes up and suddenly notices this Hebrew slave. Uh, And in those times, rich Egyptian women apparently were known for their loose morals. Um, And so it it wasn't uncommon for a woman like Potiphar's wife to do things with slaves that she ought not to have done. And so she notices um, Joseph, and she takes a shine to him, to put it politely. Um, In fact, she's inflamed with passion and sexual desire. A great philosopher once said, and by philosopher I mean Spider-Man's uncle. Um, What? Is that not? Okay. Um, Spider-Man's uncle once said, with great power comes great responsibility. I'm sure you remember that uh, quote from, I forget his name. Um, But what he should have said is with great power and great position comes increased attraction and temptation. That's really what he should have said. I remember once hearing an interview uh, with a hypnotist. Um, I don't look for these things, it just happened to be on. And uh, and this guy who was hypnotizing people, I'm not a big fan of that either for the record. I believe that God should fix your mind, not somebody with a microphone um, trying to hypnotize you. But anyway, what he was doing, this particular guy was hypnotizing people, and particularly ladies. That was the first clue that he was a bit dodgy. And, uh, And after the show, he would kind of worm his way into their company. And because he was the star, he was able to go out with them and sleep with them and do all sorts of things that he shouldn't have done. And I remember him being interviewed and he actually said, anyone that holds a microphone is 50% better looking. That's why I've got two this morning. (laughs) Anyway, perhaps I should have had three. Um, But anyone that holds a microphone is 50% better looking. There you are. That's a challenge, isn't there? The, the effect of—I've um, lost my place now. Sorry. The effect of Joseph's promotion is to make him better looking. He's only 17, but this wife suddenly is like, "Ooh, I like the look of him," and she fancies him. Uh, to use a modern, more well, old-fashioned term now, isn't it? Um, and so, verse seven, we read this verse. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Who says romance is dead? She begs him for sex day after day, and make no mistake, it would have been far easier for Joseph to have slept with her than it would be to resist her. Far easier to give in and do what she wanted and keep it a secret than it would have been to keep his integrity like he does. And so he says, no, he says, I can't sin against God and why would I do this against my master? And in verse 10, it says, though she spoke to Joseph, day after day he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. 
She nags and nags and goes on and on and on. And it's a real challenge, isn't it? Because if you're in a position of authority or influence, if you're in any position where you're elevated above a group of people, the need to resist sexual temptation particularly is massive. That seems to be the one sure way, that and money, in fact, seems to be the thing that brings people down quickest. Because once you do either of those two things, you will never go back up. If you're in a position of authority or influence, the resisting of temptation is paramount above everything else. Some people tell themselves, it will never happen to me. Rubbish. If you're in any position where you're vulnerable to any sort of temptation, it will happen to you if you play with fire. It's as simple as that. The higher you're promoted, the greater you have to fall. So Joseph keeps her at arm's length until one day, unfortunately, she catches him alone. And in go the claws. He keeps his godliness, but her passion for his body becomes a lust for his blood. His refusal turns her for revenge. And in verse 14 to 20, I'll read these to you. She, uh, as he grabs hold of his cloak and he runs out the house, she shouts at the top of her voice, Look, she says to the other men, to her household servants, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. This Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story of his wife saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And then the story carries on. It's worth noting actually, isn't it, and remembering that godliness has never ever equaled an easy life. If you're at church this morning thinking that if I play my cards right and I'm really like Jesus in everything I do and say, my life will be easy, You've misunderstood it all. The road Christ asks you to walk is twofold. It's one that is narrow and full of difficulty and trouble. And it's also a road you're supposed to carry whilst carrying your cross, like he carried his cross. Christianity is not the easy route. The route that's easy is the one that goes to eternal destruction. The simple route through life ends in hell. The difficult Christ-like route ends in heaven. Jesus himself said, you will be hated because of me. And it is worth remembering as Christians that in the easy years that we have at the moment, that they won't last forever. Don't be surprised in the coming years that if you stand for the word of God and what the Bible teaches, you will be hated. You will be disliked. You will be slandered. But it's good news as well. Because the larger point of these 14 chapters in the story of Joseph isn't how terrible his life works out, but it's that God remains on the throne and is sovereign despite the ups and downs of Joseph's life. And in verse 21, we read this. It says, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. God is still in charge even though his life has been turned upside down. 
And that's well worth remembering. He approaches prison life much like the life of a slave. He goes straight in with hard working and integrity and godliness. And very soon he's promoted uh, to being in charge of prisoners himself. And in chapter 40, uh, we read the story of how he's basically looking after everybody else. And then we read the story of the cupbearer and, and Pharaoh's baker and how they have those two uh, really amazing dreams. And he interprets them both. Um, one of them is killed, the other one is released but he's used by God even there and just like last week there are a couple of lessons I just want to draw out quickly from these two chapters just to think about uh, for the next coming week Uh, and they're all kind of held in those first six verses that I've already read out Um, and the first thing is about ownership Uh, in these in these two chapters a lot of different people own Joseph Um, He's owned by the Ishmaelites, first of all. He's owned by Potiphar. He's kind of owned by Pharaoh's wife. He's owned by the keeper of the prison. He's ultimately owned by Pharaoh. Lots of people could say, well, we own him. He's ours now. You've You've sold him. We've bought him. However, Joseph doesn't read like a man without freedom, does he? He doesn't read like a man who has no freedom whatsoever, even though he's sold like an object What you realize about Joseph is that he understood who truly owned him. And the person that truly owned him was God Almighty. In verse 8 and 9 of chapter 39, the only place where Joseph speaks, when he resists Pharaoh's wife, he says, With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He understood that God was the one who owned him. One of my favourite films, I'm afraid to tell you, isn't um, anything too highbrow. I like uh, Toy Story. Anyone a fan of Toy Story? It's all right, isn't it? It's got a, a subtle... A satirical message that teaches us about modern day life and uh, one of the great parts of a uh, toy story um, is when they realize that their owner Andy has written his name on their foot I don't know if you remember the scene but when they're taken off and they kind of a bit like Joseph taken off as slaves to another boy who plays with them when they feel at their lowest moment they lift their shoe up and they see Andy written on the bottom and it reminds them even though they're far from where they should be Andy still Owns them. And Woody and Buzz Lightyear and Rex and the others um, actually live not as if they're captive, they live as if they're owned by Andy. I did have a video, but I won't bother showing you because we've run out of time. Um, and it's that knowledge that gets Joseph through his years of slavery and prison. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 uh, gives us something very important uh, to think about this morning. I know it's behind me. <laughs> It says of God that he set his seal of ownership on us and he put his spirit in our hearts that is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. I think I'm starting to need glasses. Hang on. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are Christ's possession to the praise of his glory. And then what they used to do in olden times is when they wanted to show that someone owned something, they'd put a seal on there, a stamp on there. And a seal meant that this is exclusively mine. 
And Joseph is sealed by the name of God. I'm exclusively God's. And so even though I'm in prison, I'm going to act like I'm owned by the King of Kings. And as Christians, that's how we should live our lives. We're sealed with the Spirit of God. We're to act as if we're exclusively owned by God alone. And even if our lives fall apart, we lose our jobs, our money, our health, our family. We're always to act because we've got a seal of the Holy Spirit. We've got an inheritance that's coming. But we're to live as if we only live for the only owner we actually have in reality. And maybe this morning uh, you feel owned by your life. You feel owned by your mortgage payments or your work or your school or your university or a disease or a condition you've got. But that doesn't have to own you. If you know that God has put his seal on your life, he has put his seal on your life, and he owns you. That is why the Bible talks of God being a jealous God. Because when we drift from him or people take us from him, God is jealous because he wants us back. But it goes on. So ownership is what gets him through. But integrity as well. Joseph is a great man of integrity. Um, this arrogant kid in verse, chapter 37 has now become the most uh, amazing man that you'd ever meet. And he's four things that he does that shows he's got real integrity. The first is that he works hard. Um, he goes to Potiphar and then prison. And he actually just gets on with it. He works as hard as he possibly can. Second thing he does is he honors God and his boss by resisting temptation. The third thing he does is he perseveres despite continued injustice. You can imagine being sold as a slave and thinking, fine, I'll make the best of it. But then being accused of almost rape and being sent to prison, you'd think, stuff it, I'm not going to be good, what's the point? But he perseveres in his godliness. And the fourth thing he does in chapter 40, verse 6 to 8, is he cares for the needy. When he sees the cupbearer and the baker, he notices their faces that are downcast. And he says, essentially, what's wrong? And then they tell him his dreams. I wonder how much integrity we have as Christians this morning. I wonder when things go wrong in our life, do we stop working hard because what's the point? Who cares? Do we stop resisting temptation because why bother? Do we just stop persevering because we did it once, but it's hard to do it twice? Do we stop caring for other people because we say, well, I need to care for myself now? He has real integrity, and we need to be people of integrity ourselves. And the final thing to share, what gets through Joseph, what gets Joseph through prison and being a slave, ultimately is the favor of God. Quite a few times in verses 2, 3, and 5, we read about the blessing or the favor of God being with Joseph. What gets him through is the, the approval and the support of God. God is with him 100%. And when he works, he wasn't working to improve his circumstances primarily. He was working to honor the living God. And when he honored God in all that he did, the favor of God rested on his situation. Wouldn't you want the favor of God on your situation this morning? So often we look for solutions, and I think we should look for the favor of God in whatever we're doing. You might be in a pit of hell this morning, but if God is with you, He will enable you to live in that pit of hell for however long you may find yourself in it. The reason he shows his integrity, the reason he honors God, is because he wants the favor of God. And I like that because this story doesn't actually have a happy ending. At the end of chapter 40, after um, telling the dreams of these two men, he says to the cupbearer, when you're released... 
tell Pharaoh about me. Two years, he's completely left alone because a guy completely forgets. But he still works hard. He still keeps his integrity. He still serves God. And I'm so pleased that it's an unhappy ending because life is full of unhappy endings. Life is full of moments where we just think, ouch. And there is no beautiful silver lining. And the lesson for us this morning as we finish is that Joseph wasn't broken in these two chapters. Most of us would have been. He wasn't broken because he knew to whom he belonged. And he lived for the favour of God. Even in the pit, he was able to experience the presence and the favour of the King of Kings. And this morning, that is God's gift to you. That is God's gift to me. Not that he's going to come and fix everything overnight. That doesn't always happen. But God's gift to you is his favour in dark places. Maybe you feel trapped. Maybe you feel miserable. Maybe you feel questioning God. Maybe you're angry or confused. Take a look at your foot every now and again and see Christ written there. But not just your foot, your soul. In fact, every cell in your body, every strand of DNA, if you're a Christian, is sealed, I believe, with the name of Jesus Christ. There is not one bit of you that is not owned by the King of Kings. And if he owns you, then he is only too happy to show you his favour, even if your situation is awful. And so I want to pray for everyone now, and I include myself in everything I say, by the way, in case you're wondering, because it is the devil's weekend. However, it's God's world. And so I want to pray a blessing on every single one of us this morning, because into a, a weekend where we celebrate stuff, perhaps we shouldn't. Let's pray a blessing of light on each of our scenarios. I can ask you just to stand where you are, Not in any way responding, but just to pray for you. And let's just say a prayer together. Father God, Lord, I just want to pray for everybody here in this room. A blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to say I bless you in the name of Jesus. Father God, I pray for every single one of us here. Father God, we may be going through nothing at the moment. Life may be good. I pray you'll bless those people in Jesus' name. I pray, Father, for those who feel that they've been dragged from their comfortable home, they've been dragged from the life they knew, and they're now living in a scenario where they see no end. I pray a blessing on them in Jesus' name. I pray for those, Father God, who have oppressive people in their lives. It may be a boss at work. It may even be a husband or wife. I pray a blessing on them in Jesus' name. I pray for those, Father, who feel that they've been forgotten. Lord, that they've done everything right, but, Lord, they're still in prison. And no one seems to care. I pray you bless them in Jesus' name. I pray a blessing on them in the name of Jesus. Lord, for those who have abused their power. But Lord, for those who have fallen to temptation. And perhaps have never told anybody. Perhaps, Lord, are living with a terrible lie. Living with baggage, Lord, that they're so ashamed of. I pray a blessing on them in Jesus' name. Because you can still know God's forgiveness. God's favour. He delights to rest on you because he still loves you. You're never too far gone. For those of us, Lord, here that have done the pushing of people down holes like the brothers did, or the selling of people, Lord, figuratively, I pray a blessing on those as well. I pray for our enemies, Lord, as well as our friends in Jesus' name. I pray, Father God, that we would listen to the life of Joseph and, Lord, that our minds wouldn't be minds of defeat, 
But Lord, people that know we're sealed by Jesus Christ, by your spirit, that we have an inheritance that is bigger than anything this world can throw at us. That Lord, you are the light of the world, that even when there's darkness, you are the one that brings a light of life. May we be people, Lord, who remember that you are still on the throne and there is no one else. So I pray you bless every single one of us now. In Jesus' name, amen.